Well, good evening. I'm really glad that you guys are here. Thanks for joining us. And uh, I'm going to give these guys an opportunity to introduce themselves here shortly. We may have another individual joining us, Rodney, when he gets off of work. Uh, but let me just say a couple kind of introductory things, and then uh, I'll have David pray for us as well. Uh we actually planned this, started planning this, I think maybe it was a couple of months ago. Uh, so it's kind of interesting everything that's gone on in the news this week. Um, you know, it, it was something that kind of came to my heart, came to my mind uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, and, and it's not just a passing thing, right? There's an ongoing need for this. Uh, and as Christians, I think we need to be constantly asking ourselves, what does God's word say to these issues, to every issue that we face, to the work that we do uh, from week to week and the jobs that we do, the lives that we live at home, the marriages that we have, uh, the society that we live in. What does God's word reveal about these things? And this is crucial because most people say, well, here's what I think or here's what I feel. Now, feelings and what you think are important, but they should come secondary to what the Bible says for the Christian. So I, I just want to let you guys know, some of the things that we talk about, they may stretch you a little bit, they may challenge you a little bit, they may make you feel even a touch uncomfortable, maybe potentially angry, I, I don't know what kind of reaction there may be, but that could potentially be a good thing. So I was talking with my wife today, and just to acknowledge the elephant in the room, she was like, how are you feeling? I'm like, honestly, I'm, I'm just really nervous about tonight, I'm really uncomfortable to do this. Um, and, and I think that that's actually a good thing. Uh, if there's some awkwardness, then let's push through that and let's have a conversation and let's talk and let's learn. Um, so another question that kind of came to mind uh, that somebody presented to me this week is, why do we hang out with people who are like us? You ever thought about that? The answer is because it's so much easier than hanging out with people who are unlike us, Right? We don't have to step out of our comfort zone. We don't have to cross cultural lines. We don't have to understand things that are unfamiliar or foreign to us. And it's, it's hard to learn different cultures and to be immersed in different people's experiences. It's hard to be around people who are different than us. And that's all kinds of ways. In fact, over the last two weeks, I've been dealing with, in Maricopa Springs, some theological conversations where there's been disagreement and people are having a hard time staying in community where they disagree theologically. So, but I, I want you to understand, God grows his body when we learn to love one another in spite of our differences. It is very easy to love somebody who's like you. It's challenging to learn what it means to love God and love your neighbor when your neighbor is different than you. And so I think there's a lot of teaching and growth that can go on when we're learning to love one another where there are differences. Uh, and we're not the whole body of Christ without one another. Uh, so it's important that we understand that as well. So I just want to give a couple of guidelines as we talk here. I'm going to turn to Ephesians 4. Actually, I was at my school seminary last night and uh, heard a message on this passage. And I just thought this is an excellent way for us to start our time together. So if you don't have your Bible, you can just listen along. But I'll read this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, 
just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So whatever else happens in our time together this evening, I really do want our time to be guided by what the Apostle Paul writes here. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This is an opportunity for us to to talk and learn and to exercise those qualities that reflect God himself. So those are kind of the rules, all right? One final thought is... uh, one, one of my uh, other goals here is for us to think critically, again, about what God says about these things, not just what we think or feel about them. Because, again, as Christians, our, our life is submitted to Scripture. That's where we get our directions for life. So I have questions I'm going to be asking our panel and discussing. If you have questions, you can actually just get up. This can be kind of informal. Go to the back. You can fill out one of the um, note cards back there. If it's a follow-up question to something that we're talking about or something totally different, you can slip it in one of the little blue cups there, and every 30 minutes or so, Aaron will bring the questions that are up there uh, or back there up to me. Uh, so we'll, we'll try and talk through those if there are questions that come up. So I'm going to have each of our panel members introduce themselves and uh, share their heart for a minute. Uh, why are they here? Why they think this is important? Why they're willing to do this? Um, and then uh, I'll have um, David pray for us before we get going. So David, why don't you kick us off and let us know a little bit about yourself. Amen. Okay. Can you boost these up a little bit, Ron? There we go. There we go. Hallelujah. There we go. I, I hear some, some, some sound back there. Uh, I am David or Pastor David, as most people know me. I am the pastor of World Outreach and Bible Training Center here in the city of Maricopa. I'll, I'll start off by praying and then I'll go into a little bit about myself. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come thanking you for being God. We thank you, Father God, for being all that you are to us, and we so appreciate who you are within us. And Father, on tonight, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit dwells and reigns in this place. Father, I thank you that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Father, help us to understand. Help us to open our eyes to see. Help us, Father, to be all that you called us to be and not Father, what we're comfortable with. Father, I thank you, Father, that your word reigns supreme. And Father, we know you watch over to perform it. So Father, I thank you that as we speak about your word, Father, that you would move in a mighty way, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that you would would bless us to be able to receive what you are saying in our spirit, man. Father, we thank you for this occasion. I thank you for uh, Pastor Grady and Father, his heart, to do such an event. I pray, Father God, that this is just the beginning of dialogue and conversation and we'll continue to learn and grow uh, in, in you and, and be a part of one another. Father, we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's, it's, it's great to be uh, with you all tonight. I thought this was an awesome event as I was asked to participate. Uh, I uh, have been in the Maricopa area for about five years. Uh, we've Our church is going on five years old. Uh, we actually started at Copper Sky, and we now meet at Leading Edge Academy. And we, uh, you know, all of us at the end of the day are on the same team. We might wear different colored jerseys, but all of us at the end of the day are on the same team. So I'm excited to be a part of here. I really thank you for the opportunity to share. And so that's my two cents. There you go. You just, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. 
Hey, Ron, can you boost these up just a touch more? Uh, hello, my name is Devin Lindsay. Uh, not a pastor. Uh, I just heard my four down there, and I have one more in Michigan as we just moved here to Maricopa not even exactly a year ago. So we're still uh, spreading roots here. Um, I'm definitely honored to, to be here, and it's kind of just ironic that it's really come full circle in the year as when we first moved to Maricopa, I uh, ended up getting in contact with Pastor Grady, and our relationship started all about race, like long emails going back and forth. So we had that elephant in the room out, uh, you know, on the floor from the time we first met at Starbucks. So uh, I'm so thankful uh, that the Lord put on his heart to put this together as it's been something that's been on both our hearts, and, and it's great to be here. Yeah, Devin was super gracious. I, at one point, I just asked if we could sit down, and I, I just asked him a bunch of questions that I had never had the guts to ask anybody before. So it was a good conversation, and, and that's, why, that's why he's here, because uh, he went easy on me, and it was gracious, and it was a good opportunity. And so, uh, so we, we get to have this time together, and I'm excited for it. Will you guys just give these guys a round of applause, please? So I, I think it's gutsy to uh, get up here and, and be willing to kind of share your heart and some of your experiences. So um, I asked our church at least for some questions. Nobody uh, sent any questions. I already had a list of questions. And then when I met with these guys, they're like, well, we should open it up and see if people uh, have questions. But since no one were submitted to me, I've got a list of questions that we're going to kind of go through and we'll talk about. And I'm going to ask these guys and we'll dialogue through things. Um, so let me start with this first question, all right? Uh, to, and, and let me say, too, if I say anything that is just dumb or out of line or anything like that, I mean, call me out, point it out, okay? Help me learn here tonight, uh, this evening as well. So um, tell us your thoughts about the relationship between blacks and whites in America right now. And do you think the attitudes that you see in our culture in general in America are present even in our churches? <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I mean, even with the activities that are happening just over the past week, I think there's a lot of tension between, you know, what we would call African-Americans and Caucasians and even Latinos and even Muslims. There's a lot of tension right now. Why? Because we have not taken the time to really talk and dialogue. A lot of people have taken their perception of me from a TV screen. And, and they have not, you know, had a conversation with me. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, a lot of people are uh, so up in arms about Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. It's like, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I struggle with that because I, I believe that we live in a country that we should honor. But on the other hand, his taking a knee has gotten so much dialogue started. And so... I, I, I just think that in our country right now, we're, we're at a place where we're strained. Um, and, and, and of course, it, it's happening in society, and the society actually mirrors the church. And so people may say, well, you know, I, I love everybody, and I, I, I go to church, and I love God. Um, but in that same breath, we have a division in church because we have Latino churches, we have African-American churches, we have um, white churches, and, and at the end of the day, when we get to heaven, there won't be a division of churches. And so, and so what I think what we're seeing in society is something that occurred long ago, and it hasn't changed. 
and there was a division when when you know we can talk about slavery and all that and I don't really want to go that deep but there was a division between the churches and I don't think we've caught up even though this is the 21st century I don't think we've caught up in making the body of Christ a unified body across all people so one, just to respond to that real quick, one of the things I was thinking about today, I actually listened to a great message by Timothy Keller. I, I wish I could remember what it was called specifically. I think it was Race, Power, and Hope or something like that. And he was just dealing with the issue, why, why, how come the world wants peace so badly but we can't achieve it, right? The Christian answer to that is because there's sin in the world. But one of the things that he was saying is it's helpful to acknowledge that there are cultural differences, and that can be both a strength and a weakness, where it becomes a weakness is where you have an echo chamber where there is uh, sort of a uniformity of culture, right? I mean, if I'm honest, if I'm honest, just a moment of confession, okay? Most of my friends or most of the people that I spend my time with, they're my age, they're white, middle class, uh, probably more on the educated side, uh, and they're conservative Republican Christians. So, of course, right? Right, I know, right? Big surprise. <laughs> So, of course, when I talk, <laughs> nobody wants to confess that they're friends with me now. Um, right. So, of course, when I talk with my friends, what do I get? I get the same thing back because we have the same experience. There's not, there's, it's an echo chamber. What I say gets echoed back to me because there is this absolute sort of uniformity. And so, again, even just something like this is helpful because it allows us to see that things are not exactly the way that I always see them from every perspective. Sorry to jump in there, Devin. Go ahead. No, I, actually, I'd like to piggyback on that because if that's the group you hang around with and I hang around with a similar group and we generally all come into the same building to worship or into the church, capital T, capital C, then really we should all be on code and we all should be on the same level, same program, and have the same biblical worldview regardless of what's going on into the world. So then I think the question we need to ask ourselves is why don't we? And then I'm going to go back, David, I think you nailed it. We have to look back at history. Now before I get excited, let me just say, I know sometimes when, when we have discussions across so-called racial lines, that quote-unquote black passion can be viewed as hatred, you know, you're getting hyped up. But you know what? That's how I am. That's how my kids, we, they know that's how I am when I get talking about school. My cousins there know that that's how I am when I'm talking about sports. So that's just me. I wish I had kind of that, you know, if you ever heard a guy named Thabiti Anyabwile, when he speaks about race, he just sits back. David, I think you're kind of like that. You have that mellow tone. So it's good we have the different styles. So please don't be taken back by that. But uh, let me just refer to Acts 17 and 24. And it's, it's a common scripture whenever this topic of so-called race comes up. And Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. I just want to start with the foundation that even when we use the term race, now my background is in sociology. Everyone, pretty much, we all agree in academia that the word race is a social construct. It does not exist. So if race does not exist, 
then why do we as the church still hold on to that term? If we still hold on to a term called race, we have to now go back to, as a friend of mine who passed away and went on to be with the Lord, used to say, what happened the day before? So what happened the day before there was a term called race? Were people divided by class? Were people divided by maybe income or some other social status? And why has it been in over the last five or 600 years that it at least seems the whole entire world, not just the United States, has been divided by race? Then we need to start asking ourselves, are we gonna to continue to adopt this racial term? Because then we have to go into Darwin and a racial hierarchy. If you go back into Darwin, evolution, his descent of man, he had a chart of which races were on top. And as David pointed out in history, the United States and the rest of the world has followed that same pattern. My question is, why has the church done the exact same thing? Because we should not have followed anything that Darwin would have, would have said in his racial hierarchy or Adolf Hitler or anyone else. We should have gone by what Paul said here in Acts. God made one man, and from that one man, he made all the nations of the earth. So perhaps if we want to begin to come up with some solutions to what's going on in the United States and in the rest of this world, we need to come back to this book that we claim is absolute truth. Because if we do not live like it's absolute truth, then how can we take the gospel to the rest of the world? And that's, that is definitely a good word. So my initial question was, do you think these issues are present even in the Christian church? What I hear you saying is a resounding yes. Absolutely, right? Absolutely. Um, one of the questions that came to my mind as we were talking about this is, you know, a lot of people pick their church based on stylistic differences or even teaching style differences, that sort of thing. What should we do? Like, I, I tend to think, well, uh, the people who come to my church come because they like the stylistic or the style of my worship service, our worship service. Um, but what I hear you saying is that's only a piece of the equation. It's a much deeper thing. What, what would you say to somebody who... Uh, is thinking about maybe trying a church that is different culturally than the background that they come, uh, can't come from to encourage them to give it a try? I'll take this first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, should we do a talk show style? I don't know. <laughs> all right, I, all right, I got and if this. my question wasn't clear, you can ask me to try and clarify. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I got it. Um, I, I think culturally, uh, there's really nothing wrong because it's, we again make a cultural divide. But if we just weren't gonna split ourselves up via culturally, you know, I've been in the church many years and I've seen people leave churches because they didn't like the music because it was so loud. They didn't like the fact that they, you know, the church was pretty large, so what did they do? They had a contemporary service, a traditional service, and you know, and so they start, you know, we start dividing ourselves up on just about anything. I think the fact that it, it gets a little bit more of a hotbed issue culturally is because it follows along that traditional path of race. But overall, again, we have to go back. Why are we splitting up? Now, if we just have uh, maybe some, some personal differences or something like that, then that's one thing. We still need to come back to the book. But overall, there are going to be some of those cultural differences. But we need to ask ourselves what you started out with. Why are we having these relationships and continuing to say, I only want to be with this group of people? Right. We need to check our own hearts to the word and then let that be the guide on why we may be leaving or, quote, unquote, splitting up. Yeah. Well said. David, you want to throw something in there? I was just going to add that, you know, when we when we think about church and again, if we if we go back in history, like you were mentioned, you know, there was there was that great divide in church. Right. 
And so there are people that learn to worship different, and there are people that learn to have church different. And if we want to really experience the diversity of God, we can look at it from this standpoint, that everybody that worships just worships. It's just their style of worship. It don't have to make you feel uncomfortable. You know, if I go back to, you know, I come from Chicago and we, you know, there's places in Chicago that I would say they really had church. You know what I mean? They really had church. The music is going, they jumping up and down, they dancing and out, they really had church. And, and that might make some people feel uncomfortable. But really, God didn't say you had to worship me in this way. Right. He didn't say you had to worship me in this way. He said, worship me. And so whatever your flavor is, let me say it that way, whatever your flavor is, we have to come to the place where it's okay. Your, your flavor is, is vanilla, mine is chocolate. <laughs> so uh, do you mean to say that when I get to heaven, there won't be a worship leader up there with a guitar, with two <laughs> vocalists, a drum set, and then that's it? Probably not. <laughs> Touche. Probably not. <laughs> no, there'll, that's there'll probably be some angels <laughs> that, that'll be making some right, melody, some noises, you know, you know right? what I mean? I, I would imagine there would be some dancing as well. I remember uh, at one point I was in Kentucky on just a, a short-term summer missions trip, and I went to this church that was culturally very African-American. It was diverse, but culturally very African-American in the expression of worship. And, like, it wasn't 30 seconds walking through the door before this lady had me up on stage, like, dancing, singing, and it was, it was great. It made me super uncomfortable, but it was wonderful. <laughs> um, so let's talk about this, because we dove into this a little bit. What, did, what does the Bible say about racial diversity and the sin of racism? Is this an area that you guys have delved into? Because, to be honest, like, I, I don't, when I approach the scriptures to read them, that's not a lens through which I am often studying the scriptures. So is that an area where you guys have some knowledge that you could share with us? You know, when, when I always think about the diversity in, 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 in the church and the differences, you know, the first thing that always comes to mind is that, you know, the, the first believers, Jesus actually came for the Jewish people. So all of us on the outside. That's a good point. Okay. And then, then the Gentiles, we got engrafted in, right? And so uh, the, the second thing that comes to mind is, you know, Peter was sitting on the roof and he went into a trance. And a lot of people confuse that scripture because they think he's ta we're talking about food, right? All the stuff comes down from heaven on the sheet. And Peter's like, Lord, I won't eat any unclean thing. And, and God wasn't talking about food. He was talking about people. Because we're all different. And he had to show Peter in a way that he would get it. And so when we, when we consider the fact that you might have grown up on the West Coast. I grew up in Chicago. And, and you might have grown up on the East Coast. And I'm just using that figuratively. Uh, we have to figure that we're going to be different. The United States is full of diverse people. But, but it, it shouldn't separate us. And, and, and how we worship and how we live in the body of Christ. Devin, you want to throw anything in there? Oh. <laughs> pastor Gray knows I, I got in a little bit of trouble at my past church. Um, and I'm, like you, I'm from the Midwest. Uh, we came from the Detroit area. And the church capital. The church capital. And ironically, it's always been considered, what, the most segregated city in the nation. 
why is that? Um, <laughs> the two should not be able to coexist, yet they do. Um, and, and we ended up going to a church that was kind of out in the rural area where we lived. And uh, when I first, our family first went, you know, it was great. Kids loved it. We said, this is where we're going to be. Congregation of, it ended up being around 300, 350 people. And I was just one of two other African-American men in there, or we'll say black men, if we're going to use the racial term. And there are a few other so-called black women in there. What I realized really quickly after spending what ended up being uh, three, four years in there uh, was that as long as I was seemingly Republican or seemingly, uh, I guess, agreed with everything politically, et cetera, I was accepted. And the, the troubling part was the, the, you know, the pastors there asked me to speak uh, about race and, and, you know, was a Sunday school lesson. I talked about the, um, uh, the Good Samaritan. And it was like, how do we get past race in that story? You can't. And you look at Jesus went right at this racial issue with how the Jews viewed the Samaritans. It was right there. And so how did they feel hearing that? Yet in the church, generally, we still don't want to have that discussion. And quite honestly, that church didn't want to handle that discussion. And so one of the things I encourage really for any church, one, I think it's a little bit different here. Again, I haven't been here too long in Arizona. But at least in the Detroit area, I noticed everyone forgets about the history. The reason why you could have a so-called black church there and a so-called white church is because Detroit has been one of the most notorious areas for race riots throughout the U.S. If you look historically, everyone knows about the 1967 riots, but you had riots in the 1920s, 1940s. There was a wall that we lived, we grew up uh, two miles away that was originally set to have blacks live on this side of the brick wall. I mean, so Donald Trump didn't come up with a new idea. This was, this was Detroit worked on this, and there are still remnants of that still in the city today. And that impacted how people ended up viewing each other, and that attitude went to the church. So I, I, I have to go back again. It has to be the gospel that breaks up that fallow ground. It breaks it up. Because if not, we will read the scriptures, and we will not see, oh, that's, that's a real good story. Yeah, yeah, the good Samaritan. Yeah, you know, I might have helped them. Da, da, da. But then if we were to apply that to ourselves and say, how many times did I drive past someone who was a different color, and I was like, I'm not about to pull over because I might get jacked. I'm not about to pull over because they might call the police on me and such and such. How many times do we have that conversation? As you noted, how do we do that when we read in Romans? When we read in even 1 John, we're talking about having that love for one another. Do we really have it or do we only have that love for people who think and who we think act like us? One of the things that Timothy Keller said in this message that I thought was so powerful was he, he shows how in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the church, those who are the stronger brothers have to look out for the weaker brothers. When he says it in 1 Corinthians, the stronger brothers are actually the Jews who know that the meat that's being eaten by the Christians is not, it, it hasn't actually been sacrificed to a god, just an idol. It's meaningless, right? So he calls the Jews in that occasion strong, and he calls the Greeks, or I, I should say the, the Gentiles, weak. Well, then when you look at what Paul says in Romans, it flip-flops. And so he's talking about the same kinds of issue, but he calls, in this case, the, the Gentiles strong and the Jews weak. And what I think is so fascinating that Keller pointed out is that we have areas of strengths and weaknesses. The only way that we're going to come to know that is where we're in a community with one another, with people who are different than us, who complement our weaknesses and, ch I'm sorry, 
or complement our strengths and challenge our weaknesses. Does that kind of make sense? And you can't, again, you can't do that when it's all, when, when there's so much uniformity, so much sameness. The word he used was when everything is homogenous, it's all the same. Because nobody can even see where the differences are, where the weaknesses are. Um, and I, I just thought that that was really powerful. So, Devin, i got to ask you this, because you and I talked about this at the coffee shop, and you sort of brought this up. And so I think uh, this wasn't one of my questions, but you mentioned uh, even the term blacks or African Americans. Help us understand. What, what's, what's the right term? What's the best term? How do we know that? Because, again, I, I think for me there's some awkwardness where if I'm going to reach across some kind of dividing line that shouldn't be there but is, I'm, I'm afraid because I don't want to make the effort and then actually, like, end up making a fool out of myself. So rather than try, I'll just not. Right. I, I think this is actually where, and, and my view is, is kind of changing a bit on this one. Um, this is one of those areas that I now feel, if you would have asked me yeah, before, I would say certainly they're used interchangeably. You know, the term African-American is, is, you know, many feel it came from actually Jesse Jackson running for president in 1988. The term black, and the reason why those, the, the, any term, whether we go to colored, Negro, black, African-American, the only reason it, is that they were changed, you have to go back to history. It's because whatever so-called black people were called, it became a pejorative about the people. So black, oh, well, I don't want to be black, why? Well, because everything that is called black that becomes part of our vernacular is bad. So people say, I don't want to be called black anymore. When it was colored, hey, don't call me Negro, call me colored. Well, now Jim Crow laws, no colors allowed. Well, okay, now call me black. So if we go back in history, the only reason that the name changed was because it became rather slur about this, that people group. Now, fast forward to today, I heard someone from France say, I love about Americans because Americans make up words in their language. Why can't we do that in the church? And you think about how the dictionary has just changed, especially since now it's on the web. Why can't the church just say, we're going to move away from black, for white, for everything, and as Ken Ham for Answers in Genesis has proposed, why don't we go to people groups? Because really that's what we are. So I, I don't think to go really answer directly, quite honestly, there's too much confusion on the issue. Because whether it's going to offend someone, I always say it's always about how it's delivered. I've heard people say to me, you know, why do black people do such and such and such? And that is totally different than someone saying, you know, can, you know I don't understand, you know, with, with black folks, blah, 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 blah. And the, the way it's just said to me is something that's like, ah, I can almost, I infer something in it. But in general, I think maybe if we say, hey, if I'm identifying myself as a Christian, what if I just move, remove that term and let us take the lead instead of waiting on the culture to take the lead on changing it? Because they're not. So part of America's history is never going to change. David, do you want to add anything to that, your thoughts there? I, I just want to just, just go back to something you said earlier, that You know, oftentimes when people have a passion and they get a little intense in their conversation, um, and, and they're, they're African-American or black, you know what they get labeled as? The angry black man. He got, what is wrong with him? But it's okay. You know, there, there are other people that have passions. Why can't he have a passion? Why, why can't that? And you know, it's just, again, society has, has taken some thoughts perpetuated by media and pigeonholed us into thinking a certain way. 
You know, one of the things uh, me and my wife, we do, we make it a point, and she came in. i just like to acknowledge my wife. She pastors with me. Um, and, and one of the things that we, we make a point to do is not to watch too much TV anymore. Because, because as, we, as we've gotten closer to the Word of God, we recognize that there are some things that divide more than they bring together. And, and TV is one of them. You know, and, 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 it, and it focuses on so much negative. It's actually kind of sick how, uh, how this issue is like a money-making machine for news corporations, right? Um, just to interject something real quick for some of you who came in late, if you have questions that you would like to write down for us to try and tackle, you can write them down at the tables in the back and drop them in one of those cups, and we'll have somebody run those up here from, uh, from time to time. Thank you guys for those responses. So let's bring it home a little bit more because we've sort of been talking church in general. Let's talk about Maricopa. Um, because this is where we live. Let's talk about our city, our churches here. Do you think that this is an issue that the, the sin of racism, segregation in the church, um, even kind of racial stereotyping that takes place across America, is this an issue in Maricopa, in churches here? Do we find that in our community, not just in, you know, Charlotte and Tulsa and other places? You know, the, the leadership in this city is, is great. You know, we have a great mayor, we have great city council, and they're always trying to keep a dialogue going so we can help keep some of these issues down. But is the issues, are the issues here? Yes, they're here. Um, you know, we, we, we live in a place where, you know, it's small enough where, you know, a lot, not a lot of eruption happens uh, based on what we see in America. Uh, I can, I, I can share a quick story. When I'm, when I, when I first moved here, uh, I was working a second shift for a company. And so, uh, you know, we got, got here and I uh, was going to work. And in that first two months of being here, I was stopped coming home from work, never going, coming home from work eight times. Eight times. Um, your... Your car looked like you were, um, what's, what, I, these are the, some of the things that I've gotten. Uh, I think your tail light is out. Your light above your license plate is out. Um, you, you have an out-of-town license plate. And I told, I, well, I just moved here. Well, and then I, who do you work for? What do you mean you just moved here? Uh, well, do you want to see my business card? Yeah, I want to see your business card. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, who else is in the truck with you? No, nobody. And 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 um, there was even one occasion where I was coming home, stopped on Honeycutt, and 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 I the police officer came to the window. He was very cordial, but I didn't realize that I was surrounded by police. And so one lady on this side, lady officer, had her gun drawn. And and I'm like, I'm just going home, but. It's because of the perception um, that's out in mainstream America. It has to affect here because all of us are affected by mainstream America. Whether we want to admit it or not, we are. Again, as long as we watch TV and as long as we watch the news, we're going to be affected. What, what prevails, as you said earlier, we have to get past what we feel and understand that we're, as a body of Christ, we're bound to the word of God. 
He never told us to live by our emotions. He told us to be obedient. And if we come to a place where we can be obedient, then some of the things that are trying to affect, that are affecting our society, uh, won't affect this community if we as a body of believers can learn to be obedient. Well said. Uh, Devin, I'll give you a second here, but I remember, again, when we were chatting at, at Starbucks one day, um, that uh, you shared some similar stories like that. And I, I had to just sit back and realize, wow, I've never had an experience like that. I mean, I, I have never been pulled over eight times in a month. I've never, like, I cannot relate to that experience. And that's tragic. It really is. Um, Devin, anything that you want to say about your experience, Maricopa, our city in particular, the church here? I must admit, I was a bit surprised. Um, again, the way that I ended up connecting with Pastor Grady, uh, there was a, a podcast I was listening to, and when I knew, you know, the family we were moving out here, and my wife and I came to visit exactly one year ago to, you know, it's like, we want to view Arizona, and, and we want to find a house. So we ended up staying at a rental in Maricopa. We're like, man, this place is diverse. I'm going through city data, crunching numbers, because I'm a geek like that, crunching numbers. I'm like, wow, this actually, there's, there, this place is actually more diverse than Phoenix. So I shot a note over to this ministry, and I said, you know, looking for this in the church, that in the church, but the fact that it needs to be diverse because of my experience at my last church is very key. He was like, good luck to you, bruh, is basically what he told me. And he, and he actually referred me over to Pastor Grady, and I must admit that, that's been a stickler and why we, we actually go to a church we joined in downtown Phoenix because this community of Maricopa is very diverse. We've been having a harder time finding it in the body of Christ. Now you say, well, why should it matter? I will ask you the same question. Why does it matter? Because my mom told me, I'm going to share a story as well because it reminded me of what you said. Mom told me when I was younger, because my parents in Detroit did what so many parents do, get you out the hood so you can go to another school to get a better life. And so they did. So because of that, I ended up dating so-called white girls. And my mother said, you know, what bothers me is that all your life and all me and your daddy's life, we had you in church, you're saved, yet you are never good enough for any of these people's daughter. Now my son is 17. And as I have to have him out there and he's looking for a mate one day, not too soon, we told, we told him we're going to find one for him and my daughter. Now I have to start thinking about that and what they may have in common and, and, and being on the same page on some of these important issues. It gets important here in Maricopa that not outside, you know, as John was saying earlier, everyone opens their garage, we close your garage. But we need to have that same diversity here because the community will have the same problem. As long as there is sin, there will be the sin of racism. I will even go as far as to say, the biggest sin in the world today, from an institutional down to a personal level, many cases with a personal level, because it's so ingrained in our DNA, is the sin of racism. And if you challenge me on that, I will ask you, my, I have a very close friend in Brazil, living in Sao Paulo, why is the same situation going on there? Why is the same situation going on in London? It's an institutional thing, so Maricopa itself will not be any different. And I have gone through the same thing. I think it ended up being a divide between me and, a, and another so-called white friend when I had an, an incident, just dropped my son off at the university back in Michigan, in Ypsilanti. Police officer pulls me over that morning. And he pulled me over at, after following me for about four miles. And he waited till I got to a, a little worse area of the neighborhood, if you will. 
and it was because I had a shield on my license, and he said he couldn't read it. And I'm thinking, well, you followed me for four miles, and you think at some point you could read my life. But I knew how it was going, but what scared me was because I saw his partner had his hand on his gun. I'm like, I'm 45 years old. Just got done dropping my son off at the university. I got your degrees. I, ha I have your professional job. I go to your church. I'm a good Christian. So at what point, because I'm not, I'm not the dude that everybody says, well, you shouldn't have resisted. Then why approach me that way? And that is where the anger and the passion becomes. Because then when I go to my brothers and sisters in the church, and only you know in Maricopa if it's the same way. I haven't been here long enough to see my brothers and sisters in church look at me and be like, well, I mean, those things sometimes happen. Now I have more in common with Louis Farrakhan in the Nation of Islam than I made my own brother in Christ. Well, um, this verse in Philippians has been just on my heart so much lately. Um, Paul says, so if, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You know, I just think how often... Even Christians are motivated by self-preservation rather than the service that Christ modeled for us. You know, our, our goal is to do whatever it takes to come out on top, take care of ourselves. And Jesus went to the cross to make sure that we would be lifted up no matter what it cost him. Um, and I think in some ways this is a potential solution, a movement in that direction. Let me ask a, a kind of a, a follow-up question. And men, I have way more questions than uh, we're going to have time for maybe tonight. But um, racism, let's try and define that term. Because I, I tend to think, uh, maybe this is an area for me to learn. You know, I tend to think racism is this idea that one race is better than another. If that's the definition, I'm definitely not racist. Okay, But I understand sometimes by things that I think or behaviors that I catch myself doing that I maybe do have certain kinds of prejudices. So is there a difference there? How do we, um, how do we define racism? How do we, we self-evaluate to know whether we're guilty of that sin? Um, I, I think uh, I go back to what I said with the very genesis of the term racism. It implies the person who makes it up and defines it pretty much, you think they're going to put themselves at the bottom of that hierarchy? Of course not. I, I hate, I'm, I, I don't hate to use the term. I would hate if you accept this term in the wrong way, but because we have been so, everyone's so sensitive to it, we can't get around the term white supremacy. Now, I've always been baffled all my years in the church while I've heard conversations and I've even heard sermons about Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, various cults. I've never heard a sermon about the KKK, yet they're the ones burning the cross. No, none of those other cult groups are up there sitting there blaspheming the very cross that we give our salvation. We, we look towards that, that we have tattooed on our bodies, but yet no one talks about it. Why? 
because it's part of the culture in the church. That, so when we, that, that loaded term racism, I'm going to appeal again on why we must define it and we must move away from that. Because when we speak of the term white supremacy, we're looking at how a world was divided. If, if you don't know, I didn't learn this until I was a little bit older, look at what happened at the Berlin Conference in around 1898, I think it was. That was where they had what they called the scramble for Africa. After Africa had already been colonized, then they went and said, hey, France, how much of Africa do you want? I want this much. Germany, how about you? I want this much. Who wants South Africa? And the bid was on. And of course, we know that United States of America was divided on racial lines. It was on skin color. So as much as we may hate that, we can't deny the history. To deny that would almost be the same argument that we've heard with, with Jews. If anyone remembers when Mel Gibson made the Passion movie, people say, well, how can you say the Jews killed the Christ? Well, this is what the history says. This is, and, and we as Christians would vehemently say that. But as soon as we say, well, what does the history say about white supremacy in the United States of America? Well, that depends. I mean, the war in the South was actually fought uh, because of states' rights. Well, what did those states want to have a right to do? Um, just kind of govern themselves. Um, you know, <laughs> exactly. And so we, we must move away from that term and begin to realize that the, it, this country is divided on a certain skin color being on top. And that's just the realism of knowing history and what it means. And when we at least acknowledge that, we can start addressing it here in the house of God that it shouldn't be. And we have the answer. We have the answer. David, do you want to say anything there? You know, it's, it's just racism. I, I, I would define it as prejudice with power. Mm. Even, even power that you don't recognize you have. You know, this term that has come up lately, the um, white privilege. It's, it's a term used because, you know, we were talking about how I got stopped when I moved here. There are things afforded to you as an individual that, that are not afforded to me. And, and, and that's not because you and I chose. That's because society set a standard and everybody follows that standard. That's, that's, that standard was set probably around the Civil War time. And, and there are certain people that fight to keep the standard there. And so when we talk about racism, it's, it's, we all have prejudices. But racism is when I'm, when I'm taking it to an extreme level and I'm doing it with power and having the ability to affect you as an individual. And, and that's, that's kind of how I see it in a nutshell. Can, can I just say, say one more thing to that? Because I, I think that is a very, I love that. And I would just flip it into our police stories that we mentioned. A, a so-called black cop may have that power because he has a badge and a gun. But to explain racism in that regard, that black cop knows that when he's riding home and he doesn't have that little badge in his windshield to let every cop know that, that hey, I'm a police officer, <laughs> I'm good, or he doesn't have a tattoo showing the military, that he's just a regular black guy, if you will, he knows that now he has no power. And that's why when you say it's about power, and because it's, people can argue, well, you know, blacks can be racist. Well, you know, we're talking institutionally. We're not talking about individual. We're talking about as an institution. I think that police, when, when, I, when I, you see the stories of black police officers, I think that ties right into that. Well, as you were talking, one of the things that struck me is just kind of the irony of the fact that nobody, nobody chooses their race. I mean, we don't, we don't have power over what 
people group we end up in. That's something that God determines, and it's interesting how uh, even though it's something that we are powerless to affect, we still end up either suffering from it or taking advantage of it in, in ways that are obviously um, tragic. Uh, okay, so let's talk Maricopa a little bit more. Um, you know, because one of my desires for this was, because uh, I, I just began to think, I look at my church and my church is not, it do, the diversity of my church does not reflect the diversity of Maricopa. Whether it's African Americans or Latinos, uh, it, it, that's just not the case. So what could our church do to build relationships with, um, with people of, of different cultures, different backgrounds. I mean, you, you use the word people groups. I'm still not entirely sure how to integrate that into the way that I'm talking. Blacks, Hispanics, uh, do you guys have anything to, to contribute that would just encourage people from my church to think about how they go about building relationships with people who are different than them? And, and I think this, I mean, uh, tonight is a perfect example. It's having some dialogue with somebody that you you may not normally have dialogue with. You know, it was funny. Um, I met your, was it the youth group that I saw at Starbucks? The college group. And um, they, they'll, they'll tell you, I just went over and started talking to them, right? Because I'm, I'm stretched enough that, you know, if, if you don't like me, I believe the Holy Spirit will reveal enough to reveal it to me. But I'm stretched enough that I can go into any uh, arena of people and begin some conversation. But everybody's not like that. So you got to get past your point of being uncomfortable. And then you got to be able to say, you know, that person is just like me. If, if I cut you, you're going to bleed. And the blood is going to be red. If you cut me, I'm going to bleed. The blood is going to be red. So at the end of the day, we're just, we're, we're, we're people. We're people. And, and just let me add this last little bit. The second greatest commandment that Jesus said was to love one another. You can't love one another being divided. If I never talk to you, you, know, you, you don't have any idea of my love for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. And, I, and I would add to that, you, you know, you use the phrase, if I cut you, you bleed, vice versa. We both, we both bleed. Even the, the Bible puts it in, in even more explicit language than that and says that every single human being is what? Made in the image of God. And so every single person is an image bearer of God. And I think this is one of the things that's so tragic about some of these shooting and shootings and riots and things like that that have gone on is that it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the circum... Well, as far as the Christian worldview, it doesn't matter what the circumstances were. That's for the judicial system. Every Christian should say it's tragic that somebody made in the image of God has lost their life, whatever the circumstances were. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things that we maybe fail to realize when we're looking at people different than us or talking with people different than us. This is a person who God made in his own image. That's powerful. Um, Devin, what do you want to add to that? that I, I like what you said because I think that shows that Christian sensitivity. I, you know, I laugh at, you know, I thought Michigan was kind of free with weapons. I got to Arizona. I'm like, man, I don't even have to take a class. Whoa, it truly is a wild, wild west out here. Um, so then to hear someone like a John Piper say, even if someone was maybe breaking into my house, I don't know if I could shoot them. Because that person is made in the image of God. Like, wow, wow. 
how does that now speak to us when we're talking about things involving criminality? That now we do view that person as another person in the image of God. And if we're in the church together and we can't see each other that way, bam, immediately a wall builds up. The worst feeling I had walking into my past church was to go in there after Ferguson, go in there after Baltimore. Ironically, I didn't go in there and say a word, but it cut me to the bone to hear, you know, I just don't know why those people are out there doing such and such and such. I'm like, I'm here to praise the Lord. I mean, why do we have to have this conversation? But so if we do want to have the conversation, this is a perfect time to start having it. So we don't have it in a vacuum where it's kind of like you get cornered and then you sitting there like, okay, if I want to friends and come back to this church, I know I probably shouldn't say anything. So I'm going to just take it. We can't be that way because I'm supposed to be with my brothers and with my sisters in Christ. So I have to add this. Um, I've been able to walk in kind of both worlds because, as I say, my wife is so-called white. So I, I, I can be a little double agent because people don't know when they're having conversations with her or who her husband is until I come around the corner. So, um, you know, and, and they assume that she thinks, I guess, like, I don't know what everybody else is supposed to think in America. Um, but I think the conversation needs to happen when we're not here. Because one of the things I learned from you know, from her, her family, people I work with, is that the racial conversation only goes when we're here. But yet, every black person is pretty much well-versed on the racial issue by default. Because they have, my kids asked me early on in Detroit, when we're going down the freeway, Daddy, why do all the black people seem to live in a bad neighborhood? That's a conversation we have to have. My other son, Daddy, why every time there's a black guy on TV getting arrested, they, he always trying to get in there, and they, that seems to be all they show. That's a conversation we have. So I would encourage that the so-called white Christians, when so-called black folks are not around, to have an honest discussion. So those who are strong in the faith can maybe talk to those who may harbor prejudice, prejudice things. Because if sometimes if we say it, it's like, well, of course, that's what you're going to say. But mm -hmm. it means a lot more and has a lot more strength when someone's had the same background, the same work experience, same academic experience, brought up in the same school, maybe a Republican, whatever label you want to have for yourself. When they go to the word of God, that's when it now cuts like that two-edged sword. Yeah. I remember, again, after one of our conversations at Starbucks, um, which i got to tell a funny story real quick. I, I, I've got a, a guy I know, Colin. He actually spoke at Maricopa Springs a couple years ago. He's a pastor of a, of a church in the inner cities, an African-American guy. And he, um, at, at one point, he posted on Facebook just this funny quote. He said, how come, how come when all the white people want to get together, it's always coffee at Starbucks? And when all the black people want to get together, it's fried chicken? And I, I immediately texted him back and was like, hey, man, it's time for us to get together. Let's go to Starbucks. And uh, <laughs> I was just like, let me just fit right into that stereotype. <laughs> anyway, so we got together at Starbucks. <laughs> And, uh, um, and I don't eat fried chicken, so I blew that stereotype <laughs> right away. So those are the kinds of stereotypes, though, that are just like, what in the world? All right. So anyway, I, um, I, I remember shortly after that conversation, I'm in a conversation with some brothers in Christ. And I hear one of these guys say something that was, you know, it was, it was inappropriate. It was racist, basically. And, uh, and I, didn't, I didn't laugh. It was supposed to be funny. I didn't laugh, but I didn't stop him either. And, and I felt very convicted by that because here was an opportunity to say, hey, man, this, this thing that you're saying is unbecoming of you. I don't think that that's honoring to Jesus the way that you're talking about that subject, and yet I didn't. Um, 
and I, I don't know why I didn't, but I at least realized later because we'd had that conversation, there was an opportunity that I missed to, um, you know, to bring some brothers along in their understanding instead of just let it slip like it's no big deal. Because it is. It's a big deal. Um, any other thoughts on, on just um, building relationships across, um, you know, lines of diversity, racial lines, uh, cultural differences? Any other thoughts you guys want to toss in there? And if not, that's all right. We'll move on. I, I think the one that comes to mind for me is I'll give you guys a, a minute to think about it while I'm chatting for one more second here. Um, Bill Hybels, the author, wrote a book, Just Walk Across the Room. I haven't actually read it, but, uh, but I've been told that I should. And the whole point is just begin to build a relationship. Um, that's a step in the right direction. Uh, and, it, and it'll open up opportunities to dialogue about some of these things, which, again, it, for many of us might not be happening at all because we don't have any relationships with people who are not like us. Um, so I, I would encourage you guys maybe just to begin to build some of those relationships, not not as a pet project, not as just an opportunity to learn, but because God calls us to love one another, to love our neighbor, to even love our enemies, love people who uh, are not homogenous just like us. Any other thoughts on that topic before we move on? You, you know, I, I just wanted to share because, uh, you know, people look at me and, and you, and they say, oh, they're okay, because we don't fit a certain mold. I have a brother who, actually a natural brother, tattoos, earring, dreads. He's not interested in bothering anybody. But because society has taught a certain way, as a matter of fact, I have a son-in-law that lives in Maricopa. And tattoos, dreads, earring in his ear. Um, but if you talk to him, he articulates very well. But because of his appearance, that some people will automatically judge him as being one of them. So, so people characterize us as the okay black people and the not okay black people. And, and, and when people do that, what they do is they don't give the people that they're characterizing as the not okay a chance. They're automatically, they're automatically in some category where they're out to hurt you and you, don't, you haven't even had a conversation with them. Just try saying hi. Because most of them, most people will speak back. They'll, they'll just say hi. So I said all that to say that it comes down to us removing the stereotype of the appearance of people. We, we never, we never were, in, we never were placed in a position to judge. Our position was only to love. That's it. That, that's, that's what we're called to do. The Bible says, and his love was shared abroad in our heart, meaning all of us have the capacity to love. Not, but, but we choose to make judgments, and when we do that, we distance ourselves from our brothers and sisters. You remind me of a story, and I wasn't going to share this, but um, it, in 19, it was 1990, I flew out to California to drive my friend back. Uh, he was going to school out in California, out in Los Angeles. Wanted to drive back to Detroit. 
and he didn't know a lot about cars, but he had the 67 Mustang. We're like, you know, y'all know how it was in those, you know, corny 80s movies. This is going to be the trip of a lifetime. So, you know, we take off, and he didn't have a spare tire. Long story short, we're out in the middle of Nevada. I had taken my father's CB radio, and bam, tire blew. It's about 1 in the morning. I mean, y'all know how Arizona is, and when you get out there in those highways in the distance, I wasn't used to that being from the Midwest because we don't have those large spaces of land where you can't see nothing, and that's how it was. So I'm on the CB. Break one night, break one night. We're out here stranded. My friend laughing at me. Man, we were, nobody going to pick us up. Not two black dudes out here. Da, 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 da. Truck drivers laughing. You two idiots should have been stupid enough to come out here. Blah, blah, blah. People weren't stopping. All of a sudden, this, this Chrysler minivan pulls up. And this guy got out. It's a white guy. And he had his wife and his kid in the car with him. I mean, it was dark, dark. Brings his flashlight. Let's us use his jack. We had to spare. We didn't have jack. He lets us use his jack. We were able to change the tire. I don't know whether that dude was an angel. I don't know whether that was something spiritual or what. But I know it certainly taught me something on appearance. And because I said I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it if for two people that look like me because I would have been scared. Goes back to what you said about that media again. Because what I've been taught to even think about myself. And the fact that this man did. And I asked him, I said, why did you do this? And he said, I guess it's just something that God has me do. And he had been run over by a truck helping someone in the Sierra Nevada mountains before. He said he spent like six months in the hospital. To this day, my friend is still a non-Christian, but he has not forgotten that story. That's, that's the gospel in action. That even when folks who do not even know Christ see us going beyond the people that don't look like us, or even when we're scared. You know, in Detroit, I used to participate in the legal street race in full confession. But uh, three in the morning, you know, folks wouldn't cross eight mile. Nope, wouldn't do it. But they would come over there to street racing. One of my other friends who was so-called white said, you know, street racing is one of the things that people are going to Detroit at three in the morning and wouldn't go there at three in the afternoon. And he was right because they had that common interest, that common bond. And I find that at sporting events. I find that at work functions. We need to do that in the body. And we can by doing what you said. Just say, you know what? It, let the Holy Spirit lead. I'm not going to say you should pull over with your kids. Or this is the one on the side of the road. But, again, check our hearts. Why am I not doing it? Am I not doing it for, because I'm being wise? Or am I not doing something because I'm scared? Sure. You, yeah, you want to mention something? Come on up. I I was uh, I was thinking that uh, that this this um, panel is not fully representative, right? Because it's all male. <laughs> I was gonna say that in love. Um, I wanted to just read. This is not new. We think it's new because it's us, but this is not new. And in John four, the fourth chapter, the ninth verse, it says, "Then a woman." of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then when the disciples came, I'm trying to get to it fast. At this point, his disciples came. This is down in the 27th verse. It says, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So this is not new. But how Jesus changed this, because really the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. 
let alone Jesus even talking to a woman. But how did he deal with it? He made them think differently. He changed the way they thought by one simple statement. And we have to do the same thing. It's like what Pastor Grady was saying with his friend around. If he would have just said, you know, and I'm sure you'll have another opportunity to just say it, you know, because that's how God works. He gives us second, third, fourth, fifth chances. And it's up to us to bring. If we want to see change, then we got to want to bring it. Amen. Amen. All right, this is Rodney. You just got off work, huh, man? You're on a break from work. Right, because are you teaching tomorrow morning at your church? Wow, man. Well, hey, we really appreciate you being here. Um, Why don't you grab the mic? And uh, I had each of these guys just uh, share a little bit about themselves as we got things started. So, um, you know, let us know your name. Uh, You're a pastor, so the church that you pastor and uh, why you were willing to come and be part of this. As he stated, uh, I'm Pastor Rodney. I pastor uh, Axe Christian Center, and uh, we meet over in Maricopa Manor. Uh, one of the reasons that I thought that it was important to be here is so that we could have the discussion. I think uh, I have a very unique background, being that uh, I kind of grew up in uh, Detroit for 12 years, and then I moved to uh, Louisiana in the uh, northern portion of Louisiana. And... Uh, face of uh face a lot of uh difficulties you know in terms of uh what people thought about uh people from the north first of all and then secondly what people thought about uh black people and so uh just having to learn how to uh live with people so that's one of the reasons that i'm here cool man well um i know because you were at work you missed some of the conversation but don't don't hesitate to jump in wherever you want to jump in and If we go back to some of the other questions so that we can get your input, that's totally okay. Do you want a podium, too? Would that be helpful? Oh, no. You're all right? Okay. Um, If you want one, you can just holler at John, and he'll bring that one over for you. Um, One of of the things that we have been talking about uh, made me think of this this passage in 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul is talking about the, the importance of us as a body of believers honoring Jesus. And, and he says in here, uh, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? He's talking about how believers are having lawsuits take place inside of the church against one another. Rather than reconciling it inside of the church, they're going to the secular authorities, and it's, making, it's bringing shame on the church, right? And he says, shouldn't, he, he's basically saying your love for God and your representation of the church should be so important to you that you would suffer wrong so that Christ is honored rather than dishonor his name. And I, I wonder as we talk about this idea of, you know, racial reconciliation or building relationships across cultural lines, those kinds of things, I wonder if we're really willing to take the, the kind of risk that's necessary, willing to make the sacrifice, right? I mean, even something as simple as, would I be willing to pull over with my family in the, in the car to show love to somebody who is racially different than me because they're stranded on the side of the road, right? Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be frauded, defrauded? Why not rather take that risk so that in the name of Jesus, I can do what honors him? Um, I was just, yeah, that, that verse came to mind. Still need to think through that because I've got cute little kids and uh, that, that's a hard one. I mean, honestly, let's be honest. It's a, it's a hard one, right? Um, all right, so what, one, just one final thing here. I mean, what do you think our church could do specifically to reach out to the, 
the, the black community in Maricopa, even the Latino community, with the gospel so that our church naturally reflects the diversity. I mean, I got to share this story, uh, Rodney, because this has had so much, uh, such a profound effect on me. I was telling these guys as we got together that I heard that some of the, uh, some people coming to my church who are African-American were talking to their friends, and they said to their friends, you know, we're going to Maricopa Springs, and their friends are going, their, their friend said, why are you going to the white church? And I didn't realize that we were the white church, right? But, <laughs> but, it's, but, but it's sort of obvious, I mean, as far as just like the, the natural uh, racial demographics of our church, I could see why somebody would think that. But I remember Rodney saying, hey, man, you got you to gotta understand, when I first moved down here to pastor my church in Maricopa, my church was predominantly white, and we were still the black church because I was the black pastor, right? And... Uh, I know, I know, and, and those kinds of things break my heart. And so, again, I, my, my typical response to this is, well, there's just cultural differences. We're never going to get over those, right? Is that a legitimate reason for my church to remain predominantly white and not reflect the diversity of Maricopa? I mean, what can I do, what can our church do to Im- impact that? You guys have any, anything to say to that? <laughs> Well, one one of the things, because uh, before I started church here, I was an associate pastor in Chandler. And uh, we we struggled with the same thing. It's predominantly white church. But uh, as they put me on leadership, uh, one of the things that we began to see is that uh, more blacks were able to begin to have something to identify with. Because I'm just going to be honest with you, you know, it's difficult to come to the church and you kind of like the sore thumb or you just really stick out. And uh, that's the other piece is that uh, culturally, right, you know, if, if you grew up in African-American community, you're just used to certain things when you come to church, you know. It's like, you know, you're used to listening to hear if you're going to hear that note. You're like, oh, man, I'm home. <laughs> or when you stand at the door, somebody give you a big hug. And, and, and I will say that that's one of the greatest impacts that your church really can make is that when you do have that, uh, you know, African-American, Hispanic visitor is don't be afraid to give them a hug. You know, that's one of the things that kind of make you feel like I don't belong here is that nobody's willing to hug me. You know, everybody want to give you the, you know, that handshake. Hey, you know, how you doing? You know, it's kind of like, uh, that didn't feel welcoming. And so uh, my advice to you guys is just always make people feel welcome. Whatever you do for a white brother, do it for a black brother. You know, they'll let you know if they don't like it. Right. That's, that's what we had to learn in dealing with white people, you know. They'll let you know if they don't like the big hug. Hey, I don't like that big hug, you know. And, and I, I think that's okay, right? Because <laughs> it, it's, it's some of us that, you know, they'll tell you in a minute, look, I, I, don't, I don't like hugs. <laughs> or, I'm not a hugger. Or, or some people will tell you that, hey, I'm a hugger, man. You know, you can give me a hug, you know. But give people the benefit of doubt and, and just show yourself friendly would be one of the things. And then the second thing uh, that I was going to say that we just need to do as a community of believers is that we really need to get together outside of church, you know. And, I mean, you know, uh, I had a buddy. He's, he told me he was going to come here, but uh, he, he's white. He's my, one of my be- best friends. Uh, he told me he was going to come, but he couldn't make it. But uh, one of the things that we learned uh, in being in a church setting is that it's not enough for us just to hang out at church. You know, we had to learn how to hang out outside of church and then go to each other's houses. And I'm just going to be honest. Can I just be honest? It is that uh, I just didn't grow up going to white people's house. Hmm. I mean, you know, 
a lot of them were my good friends, but I just never got invited over. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the way I grew up is that you knew where you stood if somebody invited you over to their house. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't invite me to your house, then, you know, it's kind of like a constituent. You know, we're just associates. But uh, when he invited me to his house, me and my family, and just let us hang out, he did open up a whole lot of things. And, uh, and in turn, that's the same thing we did, is that we opened up our house, and they came to our house, and our friendship just continued to grow. It just continued to grow. And so we tell people all the time, you know, come on over to our house, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that we're going to do is that we're going to have a fellowship over at our church, and we're going to invite all y'all to come. Mm-hmm. That's okay? cool. Because we think it's important. Yeah, absolutely. And that hospitality is powerful. I mean, e- even as a pastor, I think I probably don't even know somebody in my church until I've stepped foot in their house, you know. Um, any of you guys want to add anything to that? I was just going to add, you know, look for opportunities to fellowship. Sometimes there are things on Facebook. Sometimes there are, you know, conferences at other churches. Look for an opportunity to fellowship. You know, you may feel like, I don't know if I want to go to that church. I won't know anybody. Well, if you start a class at school, you don't know anybody. If you go to the mall, you might not know anybody, but you still go. You start a new job, you don't know anybody, but you still go, right? And so what's, what's the problem with church? Why, why we, why we got to be stiff-arming each other like we're playing football, you know? It's, it's look for opportunities to fellowship. We, we have to do that. We have to do that. We, we, it's up to us individually to make the conscious decision to say, hey, I know Pastor Grady. He's a good guy. Well, you know, I don't know. Listen, I don't, you got your opinion, but that's my friend. And we have to make a conscious decision to, to, to have each other's back. Regardless, we're body of Christ. That's who we are. We're the body of Christ. So we got to make sure that we have each other's back. Is everybody going to like our decision? No. Nope. But that's why we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Right? Because some people... Are not going to like our decision. Some people are not going to like the fact that you and I associate. We hang out with friends. We have Starbucks, coffee, and not chicken. You know, <laughs> so, some people are not going to have. I mean, they, they're not going to understand. But them not understanding should not make us not do it. It shouldn't be a barrier. Amen. Well said. <laughs> are you a hugger? He was asking if you're a hugger. I am a hugger. That's funny. <laughs> oh man, Devin. <laughs> He's a shorty. Devin, anything you want to add to that? No, it's funny. I just told a story to some family last night that uh, when I was a young man, I remember it was a guy who I used to work with, and at that time, you know, we're going to early '90s. You know, Louis Farrakhan, Nation of Islam, uh, Million Man March was all the big thing. And this, this young man came in and came into the job, and the first thing he did is grab me and gave me a huge hug. And I'm like, I've been going to church all my life, and I didn't get that from anybody else. And wow. it actually had an impact. Why is this guy willing to give me a big hug, but everybody else is, like you say, kind of, you know, <laughs> exactly. It's, and I still get that at work to this day, which cracks me up. Um, <laughs> But, but you know, and let me go real stereotypical black church for you, because one of the things I remember used to often be said by my uncle, folks got together at the juke joint on Saturday night, 
Why can't they get together on Sunday? Mm. Folks get together when they want to party. Why can't they get together on Sunday? Mm. And I think that is that part, again, that, that we have to, the world is watching. So if you go back to when, when Martin Luther King wrote his letter from the Birmingham jail, that was one of the things that he pinpointed out. Mm. Why is Sunday that segregated day? And so it is something we have to look at. But to go definitely back to what you said with the, the black and the white church, I wonder if it comes along to maybe a worldview. That if a person sees perhaps a so-called white pastor up there, they immediately feel that they're going to have a particular worldview that buys into, uh, uh, I'm not going to call it patriotism, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to call it nationalism, mm. xenophobia, uh, that they may buy into a certain view of racial hierarchy. So they assume that just by what the color of the person, the pastor is there, even if the, the church is, is, has a, is of a different demographic. Whereas if someone walks in, they see a so-called black pastor up there, they assume, okay, it's safe. Because I don't have to, I'm, not, I'm gonna assume that nothing's gonna be said that I'm gonna be embarrassed about, that I'm gonna feel like I have to now speak for my whole people group in this room or anything like that. And that may be one reason why a person may label. I'm just speculating, but why they may label just on the church leadership and, and from that standpoint. Um, lots of good questions. Uh, we're probably not going to have time to get to all of them. So if I don't get to your question, forgive me. Don't take it personally. Um, this one says, why, why doesn't the church speak more frequently and honestly about racial injustice and social issues? Why don't they teach those who are lost in the midst of everything how to at least pray or have a discussion with peers about life to be sensitive to others? Um, I mean, that, that first part of that question especially, why doesn't the church speak more frequently or honestly about racial injustice and social issues? Any thoughts there? Um, and I wrote down on here, because when you said about the outside judging, and I thought of social justice, if you just type in Google justice, Christianity, why is everything labeled social justice? Correct me if I'm wrong, but the very idea of justice comes from God, because justification. It is that justification that we're, we, we're saved. So why is the world dictating that it's, all, it's something social or Jesse Jackson and politically? And I think that's why the church may be scared to even talk about those issues because it's so loaded with, you know, oh, it's, it's social topics and we have to talk about politics and we have to, no. If we just talk about justice, it'll take place, it'll handle a lot of those issues, whether we're talking about who was killed by the police, whether the police did the right or the wrong thing. Let's go back to the real author of justice, the one that gave us the scriptures. What does he say about justice? And as we talked about before, with that image of Christ, we're all made in that image. That Then I think the church would be more free, and I think people will feel a lot more comfortable. But I know it, it, it's hard for the church to talk about it because, quite honestly, folks don't even want to lose a lot of their congregation if they are perceived that way. I, 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 I like the idea of social justice, but I don't like that term because it's just justice. I mean— Scripture doesn't delineate. It's, it is justice that reflects the character of God. And wherever there is injustice, Christians should be at the front lines of that injustice, seeking to bring God's justice. Um, David, you looked like you were going to say something in there. Well, and actually, actually, you touched on it right at the end. Believe it or not, that there are some pastors that won't touch certain subjects because they don't want to ruffle feathers. You know, the stream of people is coming in and everybody's comfortable. Let me not deal with that, that, that topic that's, that's, um, that, that's, that's uh, what we want to call it, um, that's fire. 
the topic that's fire. And so a lot of times what people, what, what pastors will do is they'll just keep on the status quo. And, and, and believe it or not, people say they like change, but they really don't. Right? We, 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 we say we like change, but when, when we got to change, oh, it's painful. It's, you know, we, we, we are stretched. Um, but when, when pastors start moving toward a place where, uh, where, where they're talking about issues that aren't common church issues, it ruffles feathers. And it does. That's really what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I immediately thought of 2 Timothy 4. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Repru- repru- reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I mean, I, I can, uh, I, I can relate to that. You know, as a, as a pastor, I mean, we, we try and typically go through the Bible, uh, sort of expositionally, like passage by passage. So inevitably, I do find myself find coming, encountering subjects, being forced to teach on subjects that I don't really want to teach on sometimes. But, I, but I can also admit there are some subjects where. I'm leery to get into them because it's it's risky. It can be risky. Rodney, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, you know the one thing that I I, I did want to add to it is this: is that I, I know for a lot of people it's kind of even difficult for them to even you know ask you what is your race? Are you black? You African American? What is it? You know, and I mean that's that's just a struggle right there. We had that conversation even, like oh, did you? You fifteen minutes before you came okay, in. Okay, well I don't need to go into <laughs> it then. <laughs> But uh, I think one of the things that we have to do is really talk about love, and we really have to talk about what it looks like. What does it really look like, and what does it really mean? And, um, and, and in that, right, is our challenge is that, you know, do you love everybody? <laughs> you know, including somebody that looks different from you. And when we can get to that yeah. place where we can have that honest conversation, right? Do you love everybody? You know, even if they look different for you for, uh, than you do, then I think we can begin to move forward. Absolutely, that's a good word, man. Um, let me let me change the subject and go maybe into a more controversial topic. Tell us your thoughts on a movement like Black Lives Matter. In what ways are they right and justified, and in what ways are they wrong and not justified? <laughs> I, hey, anybody, anybody who wants to tackle that. Again, I mean, for most of us, probably our perceptions of this organization are influenced predominantly by media. Sure. And so we're, we're getting, you know, we're, we're getting information that's shaped and, and influenced by that. And so I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Black Lives Matter. You know, I, I actually, in our church, stood up, maybe it was after one of the incidents that happened in, in America, and said, listen, all lives matter. Don't, you know, I, I recognize that we have a problem. But God did not say that your life was worth more than mine and mine was worth more than yours. 
every life matters to God. Okay? So now that I've said that, let me also say that there is a problem inside our society. There is a, a disproportionate number of disproportionate amount of focus on African-American people. And, and, and you know, I, I told the story about how I got stopped, you know, so many times when I first got here. Why is it that when you got stopped, they had their hand on the gun? Why is that? There is something wrong. Now, somebody told me, so, and I was in this dialogue with someone, and they said, hey, you know, as, as, as a society, black lives matter right now because that's where the issue is. Well, the issue for me is still all lives matter. And let me tell you why. Because once all lives truly matter, we won't need Black Lives Matter. But we have to come to the point that we all recognize that all lives matter. Period. Period. And so, um, are you getting ready to... Oh, okay. Okay. Because you know, I... I I don't want you to get impassioned about this one, okay? I don't want you to be angry. <laughs> but, but, but again, you know, um, it's, it's a movement that's happening in our society. Uh, I, as a society, we do have a problem. Uh, you know, we can look across our nation and see some of the things televised. I don't need to go into detail, but all those things should affect affect all of us. Pastor Grady said earlier, we should be disturbed because one of God's children got attacked. The one that just happened in Tulsa, it happened to be, I have a friend who, we, who was a minister of music. Uh, it, was, it was a friend of his, that, the one that, guy that got shot in Tulsa. I want you to know he was a family man, a church man, um, attended church every Sunday, uh, had his hand in the community. See, because it's easy when you don't know about the person. But I had the opportunity to hear about this person firsthand because my friend Ken actually knew him personally. And so he was a child of God. He was in the body of Christ. And so, again, it it wasn't necessarily because he was black that we should be waving our hands. We should be waving our hands because he was a child of God. And, and, and I would even take that so far as to say even if, even if the person was a criminal. Like it, it, it doesn't matter whether they were a good church-going, God-fearing Christian. That, I mean, and, and it's true. We, we get the media stereotypes. We make assumptions. But the truth is a, a, a person made in the image of God is a person made in the image of God regardless. And especially for those of us who are Christians, we look at every opportunity to engage with lost people to bring them into the redeemed family of Christ, you know. But that's, that's tough, man, because a lot of times what you hear people say is, well, it was a justified shooting because so-and-so was leaving the, you know, the convenience store with s- stuff that they had stolen. It, it's still a tragedy. Anybody else willing to take that? I was just going to say amen. (laughs) (laughs) And the only thing that I just would add to it is that when you just really just take a look at what uh, black lives matter is really saying is that can you just sit where I'm sitting at for a minute? 
and, and I think that's uh, the the real echo of uh, of our community is that it's easy to try to justify whether you know it was a bad person, a good person, or whatever. But the bottom line is that until you're that person where the police follows and like you say, and they pull that gun out, you know, it, you just don't know what it's like. But when it happens to you, then then you begin to feel what that's like. And I think uh, a lot of times, you know, uh, we don't get a chance to talk about that in church, empathy. <laughs> we, we just don't, we, we just don't, you know. You know, we talk about it when it, when it comes to sickness and, you know, we should, you know, kind of understand what that person is going through. But can you just begin to understand what that mother or father who just lost that child is going through? Um, yeah, this, this one always gets my goat um, because I, I love what you said with empathy. My, my wife, we were watching the latest gentleman that was just killed, and his wife was up there recording it. And it reminded us of the Philando Castile case where, or incident, um, where the wife is up there yelling, and after her husband was shot, she couldn't even go to her husband. She was yelling, don't shoot him. He has a TBT, traumatic brain injury, TBI. And after that, my wife was like, isn't it amazing that she couldn't even run and see about her husband because she was scared of what was going to happen to her? Or the same thing that happened with Philando Castile where she kept recording and he's bleeding out right next to her, but she's recording because, and she's saying, sir, sir, out of fear. And so, you know, I, I love what you said. When all lives matter, that's not an issue. Because now the thing I'm hearing, and I'm very sure I stayed on social media over the last week, but the, the one thing I'm still hearing, hearing kind of a residual of, can we just get treated like the terrorist and be taken in alive? Um, when, when we talk about this issue of justice and the reason why the whole slogan Back Lives Matter is out there is because we have to go back historically. The question becomes, if we go look at, again, the United States history, the Civil War ended in 1865 after a period of reconstruction where we could say that all lives mattered then. Then that was when Klan 2.0 took a rise and then we go through a period called the Nader. The Nader was a period when black lives were swung from trees, not with sagging pants, not with tattoos, not with crazy hairstyles or dreads. These were guys in suits that were dragging. And as, as a so-called white sociologist, James Lowen pointed out, the real issue was, why did everyone feel it was okay to look and take a picture at the camera and wave? Had their kids the same age, my age, up there smiling, while there is a person swinging. Then we get up into 1964, 1965, the Civil Rights Act gets signed. I was born in 1970, so now how many generations do we have to go back until we really say in this country that all lives matter? Now, that said, let me point out, yes, I hear people say, well, but what about the LBGT issue with Black Lives Matter? That's a very good point, and I agree 100%, because I'm tired of seeing movements, so-called so movements, get co-opted by someone else. Because if you look at the LBGT agenda, it's following the same civil rights pattern that Martin Luther King had adopted as well in order to get this stuff passed. But that said, can we then just hold all the other organizations, can we hold the Republican Party to the same scrutiny? that if they are doing something, some things that are not biblical, they will not receive support and that their message will be nullified. If we're gonna keep it even on Black Lives Matter, let's keep it even on all things and judge them all the same way. And then, 
you know, lastly, I have to go into real quick into the usually the black on black crime thing comes up. Why if Black Lives Matter so much? Then what about black on black crime? Again, as a, a, a Detroit resident for 30 plus years, I can tell you, I got three relatives that were shot, killed, murdered. Person, one case, street justice ended up going to get them, not the police. Any other time that I know and I've ever seen with anyone I know, you know what? They committed a crime, they went to prison. The problem is that people are not going to prison. When black people kill black people, black folks go to prison. Look at the prison numbers as further indication of that. The issue is that Black Lives Matter is addressing with Colin Kaepernick that you mentioned earlier, is why isn't justice being carried out if we say, and again, we shouldn't take justice away. It, how can we read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and not see justice all through there? Uneven scales, it's right there. So yes, Black Lives Matter does have its issues, but no different than any other institution that's not biblically led. Because if the church lets someone else and another group lead it, even if they start out with right intentions, it's going to be co-opted for something else. But this becomes because the church doesn't want to lead it. I, I, let me say real quick, it's made me think of the, I, I heard someone say, uh, you know what, homosexual marriage is okay, and the church was wrong because what did the church do about it back with Loving versus Virginia in 1967? I had to go back and do some digging, found a lot of people in the church were for it. They were for segregation. They felt that black and white people should not be able to get married. Now, how is that working for us today? Now that we're saying the church, you were wrong on that almost 50 years ago. So how can you now be right when two men and two women want to get married? So if we let other groups go out in the forefront and take the leadership for what we should be doing, then you know what? If they drive in the car, wherever they take us, they take us. But we're going to be held accountable for God for that. I think on uh, the issue of, of just coming back to justice, you know, Christians should be incredibly gracious in these kinds of conversations with one another, incredibly gracious even about these ideas, because we're, we're the people who understand that our natural position for God to be just is for him to condemn us. The only reason that we are redeemed is because God has extended grace to us. We, we don't deserve the redemption that we have. We didn't earn it. It's not ours by right. It has been given to us graciously. And I think it, 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 it should be our position to reflect that grace back to the world. Let God be the judge and let us be gracious to one another. Um, I think that that's just a, a really intense subject, the subject of, of Black Lives Matter. Uh, and if we need to delve back into that at some point, we definitely can. Let me lighten it up and go to another question that I got that I think is a little bit funny, actually, okay? And, I, and if you wrote this question, I don't mean that as a slight against you. But, um, but it's one that probably has influenced people in how they think about God. What historical biblical evidence supports the notion that we serve a God who is white? And when his son Jesus walked the earth, that he was physically manifest as looking like a white man? Was Jesus white? Is God white? You know, it's interesting um, because many people are offended at that. God is God, period. Jesus is Jesus, okay? So let's first establish that. He's our Lord and Savior. He died upon the cross, and, and he is who he is. However... Jesus was Jewish. 
And the Bible says he had kind of curly hair, and it was thick. I don't have much hair lately. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm of an age now where, you know, it's not thick like it used to be. However, the, the portrait that's displayed of Jesus doesn't match what we read in the Word of God. Okay? Secondly, um, children of Israel, they were in Africa. You know, uh, it's, it's hurting you, isn't it? <laughs> but on the continent of Africa, that's, that's where they believe the Garden of Eden is. And, of course, you know, we can speculate, but we really don't have the, um, we really don't have the whereabouts where the garden was. Um, but we believe it was on the continent of Africa. And when you look at those people in Egypt, when you look at history and the hieroglyphics on the walls of the tombs and so on and so forth, the people are brown. And so it's, 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 it's for me personally, uh, again, God is God, Jesus is Jesus, but I believe the portray the picture that we have that has been created by society of what he is, is inaccurate. I, I fully agree with that. I think it's interesting when you look at, um, in Revelation, you hear that you see this description of Jesus. It's really the only description that we have of him that's this concrete. But it says the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. I think probably, unfortunately, some people have chosen to read the whiteness of his hair in a literal sense, as if Jesus had blonde hair or something like that. But if you're going to do that, then he also had bronze feet and eyes of fire. So it, it, it doesn't really make sense. There's some, there's some obvious symbolism here. Um, and so we have to ask, really, what does that symbolism mean? I don't think that the Bible is suggesting that Jesus was like blonde-haired, blue-eyed, right? Devin, you clearly look like you uh, have something to contribute here. I say in life there are two things that, that are pretty much covered. One, the Bible covers all things in life. Two, the show Good Times. Good Times did a whole show on, on black Jesus. And so this has been something that's been discussed in the so-called, y'all remember, y'all know what I'm talking about, uh, that's, been, that's been discussed since the early 70s. Um, and, and so I would ask for all of you to think on two things. One, history and logic. How could you have a people in, and that's why I was laughing. I wasn't eager. I was just laughing because you're talking about, that's the Middle East. That's not Africa. That's the Middle I mean, that's like we think that's a whole, we've been taught. That's a whole other part of the world. So, like, there's a divide line. Everyone that goes around a particular longitude and latitude, now all of a sudden they get dark like me. But other than that, if they're up above here, then they're light. No, no. This was a region of the world. This was part of Africa. That should not offend us. If it does, and my last church had a couple of pictures of kids know well. We call it white Jesus. They had a couple of pictures of white Jesus. I took a picture next to one. Told them, look. 
It's so amazing. I guess I see why in the Old Testament the Lord told us not to have any graven images. Because now it's to the point that if you tell a child, close your eyes, think of Jesus, they think of a Brad Pitt. And when, so when I look at the passion, or Fabio, exactly. Exactly, exactly. So the question that we have to ask, there, I think there is a lot of symbolism in there, but I think the biggest part of the symbolism is to we realize it was designed to make us think a certain way, that the very savior of our souls is white. And again, this is logic and history. We know it was used to enslave. So when they showed up, Michelangelo's picture of a white Jesus, and then they showed up, and then they go in, and they, they talk about Philemon, and see you're supposed to obey your slaves. And then it says over here, da-da-da-da. And then Jesus is white, and I'm sure all of you have seen numerous slave movies down throughout time where that is addressed, and that gets covered. So it was done for a reason. And, and again, it's just something that we have to admit. Rodney, anything to add there? Amen, but, <laughs> you, you know, I, I love scripture and everything, and I understand scripture, and, you know, uh, I know what it says, but but to me personally is that Jesus is my brother, mm. you know, and that's just the way I always thought. He's my brother, you know, so in, in, in my mind and the way I met him is that he looked like me. <laughs> I don't know about for anybody else, but that's just the way I just saw it is that he's my brother, you know. It's good that he's your brother. When he's your brother, then he can he, he can yeah. he can he he can look like you. <laughs> and what I think is amazing about the fact that Scripture doesn't really give us much of a description about him, except for Revelation, which again is clearly uh, it's symbolic, is that every person on the planet who comes to know Jesus can say he's my brother. He looks like me, because again, he is made in the image of God. He has the fullness of humanity, even as he has the fullness of deity and. It's a mind-blowing thought, but every person can relate to him in that personal way. I think that's powerful. Um, we, we've only got about 15 minutes left, so let me, let me do this. Uh, maybe let's just go down the line. If you feel like there's any other thoughts that you want to share, any other questions that didn't come up, anything that's still on your heart that you feel like people need to hear, um, let's just go that way, and then I've got a kind of concluding thought, and, and maybe we'll end up kind of dismissing it. Rodney, you want to go ahead and get us started? Well, I get to go first. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, when we talked, uh, I guess, two weeks ago uh, at the pastor's prayer, one of the things that we said is that uh, in order for this to have an effect, we had to talk about what the elephant in the room was. And, you know, I wasn't here for a previous conversation, but one of the things that I've just been praying about uh, to bring up is that what it really comes down to is a matter of the heart. And if you have issues against your brother, you know, regardless of what color he is, then, then we got a problem because that's just not what God wants. What God wants is for us to be able to look in our heart and for us to have a clean heart, right, as it pertains to our brothers and our sisters. You know, and we can't walk away from this conversation without asking the question. Of this, and I, I talk to my kids about it. They're a lot younger, and they say, "Well, Dad, we don't really talk about that word hate. You know, we don't say I hate my brother or sister, but we do use that word that I strongly dislike." <laughs> and um, part of it is, is that you know we have a strong dislike for our brother or sister, and it could be because of their culture. It could be because we were never exposed to it. 
But no matter how we look at it, it's one of those things that we need to take to the altar. Because the Bible, it clearly teaches us that if we have an issue with our brother, our sister, he says, get up, go back, get it right, and then come back. And so that's the only issue that I really feel strong about that we have to address. And, and it's a heart issue. And I'm quite sure at the end, uh, Grady is going to give us an opportunity, right, to just get it right. You know, uh, I'm just going to tell you my testimony is that I can remember being 24 years old. And uh, to my knowledge, I had never told a white person in my life that I love them. And here I'm sitting in church, never went to, white, went to church with white people. But at this particular time, here I am, the only one. And I can just feel this nudge by, by, by the Holy Spirit that you need to get up and tell that man you love him. I'm like, no, we don't do that. <laughs> That's not something that I'm comfortable with. But I can tell you this, that in order for me to be here tonight, I had to go through that. Mm. I had to look another brother in the eye that looked different from me and say, I love you. Mm. And he was equally as shocked. As I was, like, wow. And I'll never forget his uh, response to me. He said, you know what, brother? He said, I bet you'll never have another issue telling anybody else that you love them. Hmm. And by the way, the motto of Ask Christian Center is this. It is love in action. Hmm. That's cool. So everybody that comes through those doors, we tell them that we love you. So I'm not here to ask, but I'm here. But I want to tell every one of you is that I love you. Good work. Thanks, Pastor Rodney. Uh, I just want to go to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And it says, therefore, this is verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. This is why we have the answer. I, I, I wrote down four things from some of the uh, guys who I guess they were called the, the early recon reconcilers, uh, some black ministers that, that were in the country going back from the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. And they actually uh, did a little bit of uh, kind of chastising on Billy Graham, who at the time felt, we just preached the gospel. That will take care of this race problem going on in America. And Billy Graham even came around to see, eh, it's a little bit more than that. But one of the things they said, the four things that they wanted churches to work on, that was where we started getting to know one another. Let's really get to know one another. And if anything, in, in a, a bit of terms of privilege, I think, for most in this room, knowing Maricopa, from what I've seen, Maricopa isn't, quote, unquote, the hood, where it's like to be scared to go over somebody else's house. I didn't realize until I moved out of my old neighborhood. I'm like, okay, I understand now where maybe some of the, the white people I went to school with didn't want to come to my house, like you mentioned earlier, because they were like, we never lock our cars, but now we got to lock it. One dude came to my house once and was like, okay, uh, yeah, I heard him close the hood. I'm like, what, something wrong with your car? No, I pulled my distributor wire in case somebody wanted to steal it. I'm like, man, it's not that deep. You know, so you know, that's the one area 
that if that's one of the hiccups that we have, you may not even have that hurdle. So as we said, get to know one another, go over someone's house, and then we can begin to let the guard down. Another one is for really we all to, to realize that the church must realize that all institutions are by man. And because they're by man, they are, the race issue is in the DNA of these institutions. And it goes in what I said earlier, that term that we don't like, but it is white supremacy. This is ingrained in the institutions in the world. And the church has to admit that. And it's just not my opinion. They said this then. There's another book I highly recommend called Divided by Christ that is full of tons of research showing this. And that one of the things they say is that part of the reason we keep dealing with this issue is because we want to ignore that and we keep thinking things are going to change. But it's part of the church to admit the truth so then we can start working on it. And that leads us to three. There's one group that favors this institutional racism. And it's not mine. It is based on skin color. And I'm going to ask you to think about this in your heart. For all the non-white people in the room, how many times have you walked up to someone who was quote-unquote mixed and said, you got some good hair? Why did you say that? And to the so-called white people in the room, have you ever said, you know, he's a really nice guy, but what if y'all get married? What about the kids? Why would the kids be an issue if we were all the same and if all lives mattered? So it's that, again, that reconciliation, you, we have to admit that. Then that goes down to us, so-called black folks, that when that forgiveness and those who claim so-called white that we're labeled in this country come asking for that forgiveness and say, you know what, history is wrong. I, this is that part of the history that I don't want to claim because I am a child of God. This is the history I'm claiming. Can you forgive me? We have to be willing to say yes. Because now we're one in Christ. We're one in Christ. So what was done then, that's covered by the blood, just like my sins are covered by the blood, so now we can be one. Because when we all get to heaven, it's not going to be a day of rejoicing if we're still going to be, man, I'm not going to worship over there with them. So in order for us to get that, and in order for us to keep from having these conversations over and over, and we all up here, I'm going to assume everybody up here, let's just say over 20. We, we've been, we've heard, we go through these cycles. And if anyone here is over 50, why is it getting repeated? It's because we haven't worked on those four areas that, that I think many tried to work on before. But again, let's remember, we have the answer. We have the scriptures. If we really truly believe that Jesus Christ is in authority, he is our savior, he is the one that has redeemed us, then he can make us one, regardless of whatever we've been taught in the past. Would you be willing to email, email those to me? I'd appreciate that. I'll pass it on to my church. Pastor David. You know, as I was sitting, listening to the other comments, uh, I was just, Holy Spirit, what did you want me to share? And this scripture came to mind that I knew you in your mother's womb. And this is it's in Jeremiah and uh, the first chapter. And the, the, the question that, that is really in my spirit right now is, if he knew you in your mother's womb, did he know your skin color? Did he know what church, did you were going to attend a white church or black church? Did he know all that? What he knew was your spirit, right? Because your spirit existed long ago. So what color is your spirit? 
I don't think it has one. Because when I get to heaven, it's not going to really matter. All the things that we're struggling with and all the things that we're making an issue are only issues because we're making them that way. If we would take the time to love our brothers and sisters the way we were intended to, some of the things that we struggle with would just go away. Would just go away. If, if we had the opportunity as brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, when, when, you know, to just hug one another and, and when we go over to Pastor Rodney's church and eat together, amen. amen. When we all go break bread together and we just happen to just look at each other for who we are, people made in the image of God, you won't, we won't struggle. We won't, we won't have issues because the God that made me made you. And although you may be different than I am, and although we may have different appearance, and although we may worship different, he knew that because he made your spirit before you were formed in your mother's womb. So if we just keep in mind the fact that we're all the same, the flesh is going to go away. It's going to go back to the earth. What's going to remain is the spirit inside of us. Um. Uh, I guess for me, c concluding thoughts, I think um, just just a tool to help you understand whether you are truly uh, making progress in this area. One of the things that I've noticed is that when, when, uh, when my white friends tell stories, if it involves a black person, they mention the person being black regardless of whether it's information that actually matters to the story or not. I don't know whether that happens uh, when, when black people tell each other stories about white people or not. It does? <laughs> and, and I think that that's just very telling. Check yourself. Because, again, why does it matter if it's not part of the story, right? If it's not, you know, if I just say, my friend went into the grocery store, oh, and, and he was black, and when he came, like, why? It doesn't matter, right? And I think to some, in some ways we want to give ourselves more credit than we really should by thinking that we're not like that. Other people have prejudices and, and have problem with, problems with race or cultural differences, but I'm not one of those people. And yet when you're not consciously thinking about it, these things slip out of your mouth that reveal that there are some deep-seated assumptions or, or, or prejudices that actually are at play. Um, and I found that to be just a helpful tool as I assess myself. So I just wrote down this concluding thought, and then I'd like to read 1 Corinthians 13. And then, Rodney, would you close us out in prayer? Uh, I just wrote this. Christians need to understand that our greatest motivation for working on this is because it's an issue that's close to the heart of God. Every human being is invaluable in his eyes. This isn't a pet project. It's not a hobby horse. It's not a social fad for the Christian. The gospel brings unity even as it celebrates diversity. And this should be a central issue for the people of God because it's a central issue for God himself. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Pastor Ronnie, would you just close us out in a word of prayer? Well, since uh, you know, we were talking about uh, us coming together, I think it's only fitting that uh, we all stand and hold somebody's hand. And as I tell people in my church, those of you that uh, have issues with holding hands, there, I know they've been hand sanitized. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you Now, now, just one other thing that we'll do before we pray, and that is, I want you to look to your eyes. Just tell them, say, I love you, my Thank you, Lord God, that you bring us back together, Father, to glorify you in Jesus.